Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line, or maybe even read stories with me, or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script. I'm your host, Mark, and joining me today, we got Liam for the first time. How's it going? Good. How about you? Oh, very good. I'm excited to read some lore that you've written for us. It's got a sweet fucking name to it, the Solar Hellcats. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to make it sound cool, so I'm glad <laughs> well, to see you it. You got me there. <laughs> um, yeah, so you wrote about an Imperial Guard armored regiment do you want to kind of give us a little teaser about it before you read your story or yeah so basically i mean i know vehicles aren't that great that's kind of why i stopped playing around seventh edition but i got back into the lore and i really wanted to make something kind of that i was excited to do uh so i figured an armored unit would be fun and imperial guard are very relatable because they're just humans yeah (laughs) just the regular guys very cool i like it um yeah let's let's dive in you have 13 pages here so it's gonna be a long one i just noticed that but i that's that's exciting i'll get the notepad going here we'll uh all right <laughs> uh if you want to start that'd be uh cool all right so the Afghanian 47th armored regiment solar hellcats background the 47th Afghanian armored regiment draws its history back to the days of the great crusade the 47th was originally the 47th sub-cohort of the 470th Solar Auxilia cohort, raised from the planet Afghania and the Segmentum Solar. At the time of the Horus Heresy, the 47th was stationed on garrison duty on the agro-world of Ivdai, which had been brought into compliance decades earlier. Despite being the elite of the Imperial Army, the Solar Auxilia had found themselves placed in the important role of holding on to the conquest of the Imperium of Man. The entire 470th was kept on the sidelines of the Horus Heresy due to their far-flung missions and received orders to hold until relieved. It wasn't until the scouring that the 47th would join the fight against the traitors, including the liberation of Paramar V. Upon returning to their home planet, the Hellcats found it beaten and bruised, but still standing after an attack by a detachment of Iron Warriors and Imperial Army in order to secure supplies during their retreat from Terra. During Lord Commander Gilliman's reformations, the Imperial Army was disbanded, and the 47th became its own entity as an armored regiment. In the time the regiment became... In time, the regiment became known for its capabilities against the armored forces of the enemies of the Imperium of Man. As a result, the regiment found itself using formations entirely comprised of solar pattern Lehman Russes with battle cannons and vanquisher cannons and foregoing Sponson weapons. During M34, as part of a campaign against the traitors on a ruined world, the regiment recovered an STC for a canister round capable of being fired from the vanquisher cannon and turned it over to the Mechanicus of the Forge World Loyon II. In payment for the SEC, the Arc Magos of Loyon II ensured the first priority for solar pattern Lehman Russes, as well as for the new ammunition type, which was found difficult to produce in significant numbers, leading the 47th as one of the few regiments using it. Additionally, following the scouring of Tigris, Loyon II managed to create their own pattern of Vanquisher cannon with greater muzzle velocity and a fume extractor, preventing the firing gases from entering the fighting department of the Lehman Russ. 
Many vestiges of their history remain in the form of the ranks used within the regiment, such as legate commander for the leader of the entire regiment, along with other ranks such as subcommander, primus, and auxiliary for lower ranking individuals. Additionally, much of the legacy of the solar auxilia lives on in the attention to detail during maintenance and the solar pattern Lehman Russes furnished to the regiment, along with the heraldry of the sunburst behind a depiction of a snarling Abaganian Hellcat. However, the aftermath of the Horus heresy did not leave the solar Hellcats unscathed. As part of the Reformation separating the Army and Navy, the 47th abandoned the livery of the solar auxilia and began using camouflage schemes based on the planet they are deployed to. More importantly, the regiment still carries the original Vexillus carried into battle during the days of the Great Crusade as proof of their history and their continued prowess. The fact that they have carried the colors since the days of the emperor is a great point of pride and one that has them looking down on other less storied regiments. Great care has been placed on maintaining the Vexillus and its record of the unit's victories during the Great Crusade, even as the time, the elements, and the battle eat away at it. Every battle the Hellcats have fought since the end of the heresy has been marked by adding a crimson streamer with gold trim and the name of the planet to the crossbar holding up the Vexillus. Only once the Emperor sets forth once again from terror on his final crusade to make the galaxy safe for humanity will the 47th begin recording their victories on the Vexillus again. Cool. Um, let, I think we're going to unpack it, unpack yeah. it kind of section by section. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have some questions about the solar auxiliary. I honestly don't yeah. know much about them as a jumping off point. Could you maybe give yeah. me like a little bit? Okay, so basically back during the great crusade in the early years they realized there just aren't enough space marines so we need the imperial army and as a result of the uh some of the warriors around saturn being very good warriors the solar auxilia were created based on how they run ran themselves um so they were essentially the elite of the imperial army and they were mustered purely from systems in the segmentum solar Okay, cool. So there would be some from Earth, some from Jupiter, some from Mars, potentially, maybe even. Yeah, so originally, they, the first 10 were all from Saturn, the yeah. Saturnine. I don't remember their nickname, but um, there ended up being over a thousand of them. So, yeah. Yeah. So then basically, you took one of these, you took the 47th, and then you kind of took it out of the heresy and took it into common 40K. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like I've seen their miniatures a whole bunch, and like I always fucking my eyes get so wet and happy when I see them. They're <laughs> sweet. Do you have those miniatures as well? I like don't this? have those. Okay. Um, I took a step back from the hobby around seventh. Um, but I mean, it'd be nice to get back into it. Okay. But money is still kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a thing. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that's the nice thing. We can always just write about what we want. Exactly. Can't get it. Okay, exactly. cool. Um, that canister round you were talking about, uh, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Is there any more details about that? Uh, nothing I've written yet, but okay. it's pretty straightforward. It's basically a shotgun round for a tank cannon. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, that's fucking uh, sweet. <laughs> I figured, you know, if it's doable today, it should be doable then, you know, yeah. it's lost technology. So <laughs> why not throw it in there as some sort of hard to produce STC? Yeah, I love that. Um, and then, okay, so my next question kind of goes back to miniatures. Do you have yeah. any models for this army? Because you mentioned like your your Lehman Russes, they had a different cannon nozzle on it and stuff. Have, have these been represented in any way? They haven't been represented in any way. Um, okay. I do have an idea for how I would. Yeah. Um, it'd be a lot of kit bashing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I, okay. I have an idea around it. 
cool. Future plans, future plans. Exactly. Okay, let's uh, keep reading on. Okay. Organization and combat doctrine. The 47th armored component at full strength is made up of 300 Lehman Rust main battle tanks, organized into four battalions consisting of five companies and 13 Lehman Rust tanks, along with three companies de designated for the Legate Commande Commander and the Commander's tank itself. Each company is broken down into four tercios of three tanks consisting of one Vanquisher and two battle cannon mounted tanks, as well as the company commander's tank, which can be mounted with either weapon depending on availability and preference. The following uh, reorganization of the Imperial Army, the 47th could no longer operate as a purely armored unit and therefore expand to fill all roles often played by supporting units from their solar auxiliary. Beyond the four armored battalions, the regiment includes a mechanized grenader battalion consisting of six infantry companies with half mounted in chimeras and half in Torox primes, as well as headquarters company and a company of Ryvern suppressor tanks. It also has an artillery battalion consisting of six batteries in Basculus and two batteries of Manticores, an air defense battalion consisting of six batteries of Hydra flak tanks. Additionally, there is a support battalion that handles the maintenance, supply, and medical needs of the regiment, an engineer battalion, a signal battalion, a recon company, and aviation liaison company that coordinates with, with the attached Imperial Navy aircraft. The combat doctrine of the Solar Hellcast is focused on the capabilities of their armored vehicles. With the speed governors removed from the engines and with the longer operational range afforded by the solar pattern Lehman Russes, the 47th utilizes these advantages in order to exploit weaknesses in enemy lines or to show up friendly lines more rapidly. The 47th are highly professional tankers and are masters of armored warfare. Their training and discipline allow them to prioritize the most dangerous targets first and cover their own sectors in order to most efficiently defeat the enemy. Whether assigned independent, independently along the line or in support of other regiments, the 47th always work closely with the Imperial Navy as close air support, most often in the form of vulture gunships. This close relationship and easy cooperation is a result of the formerly mixed nature of the Solar Auxiliary and the regimental culture that has been passed down since the Great Crusade. In fact, the 47th has, has had the third tactical gunship squadron of the 541st Imperial Navy tactical wing attached for so long that the two units share a close bond to the point that the official prefectus launched an inquiry into the relationship on the grounds that the separation of the Navy and Guard was being threatened. Ultimately, the inquiry was ended when the investigating commissar was killed in battle by a heretical assassination team that was promptly eliminated by security forces. The junior commissar promoted in his place, launched an uh, inquest regarding the death and concluded that the commissar had been assassinated by heretics, despite no corpses being identified as the culprits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ah. Uh, yeah, we'll start there with that little. So there definitely is some kind of colluding between the Air Force and the Navy, or the Air Force and the, your 41st day, yes. 47th. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and they're willing to kill commissars to cover it up, too. <laughs> Listen, you can't prove it. <laughs> no, no, we can't, no. <laughs> uh, very cool. Uh, a lot of this is kind of just like that 
I, I mean this in the nicest way because I love organizing stuff too, but that bland organization. Yeah. But I do like um, that it is all laid out nicely. And I like that you went into this whole explanation between their tactics with the ground guys and the air guys. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's just nice little details. Yeah. I like the organizing and I like looking at, you know, like orders of battle and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's a fun exercise to figure out what it would look like. Yeah. And then draw tables for it. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. it. It gives you two something when you do start collecting, when you win that lottery ticket, you can buy all of it. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Afghania is a civilized world in the northern part of the Segmentum Solar, roughly 50 light years from the Paramar system. It has a population of roughly 9 billion and is a temperate world with three large land masses, which contain the majority of the population. The capital of Afghania is the city of Darien City, where all imperial adjuncts have their headquarters. The largest and most popular landmass, Kaisari, is effectively bisected by the Barless Mountains, which reach over 4,000 meters at their highest point and have a few practical passes requiring tunnels under the mountain air travel or sea travel in order to cross to the other side of the continent. The majority of the population on Kaisari is located on the coastal lowlands and rolling hills rather than in the rough country and mountains in the middle. The citizens of Afghania hold any number of jobs from farming and fishing to administration and manufacturing. But the most highly regarded profession among the Afghanians is to join either the Imperial War Machine, or sorry, to join the Imperial War Machine with the highest honor being joining the 47th Armored Regiment. The importance of the 47th comes from the fact that while other units of the 470th cohort disbanded during the Re reformation of the Imperial Army in order to help rebuild the planet once again, the 47th never disbanded and instead immediately reformed to be more independent and made themselves available to the Imperium. Having a family member selected to join the 47th puts your family, family into a high social standing, no matter how lowly the family is within the social ladder. In Manorkit Square in Darien City, stands the Wall of the Heroic Dead, in which every Afghanian killed in service to the Imperium since the Great Crusade has their name hand-carved. What started as a small wall meant to possibly contain hundreds or at most thousands of names has come to be expanded to take up the walls of all the buildings in the square. The names carved into the onyx get noticeably smaller as you move from those killed in the Crusade to the present day. The cult of the Emperor is strong on Afghania, with the strong ecclesiarchy presence in the major cities of the planet. The people of Afghania believe that one day the emperor will return to them and free them from the terrors of the galaxy, just as he did during the Great Crusade. They believe that at the moment when defeat seems inevitable, the emperor will walk among them again and put their enemies to flight. And so they fight and die in his name in order to prove themselves worthy of such a fate. The Astartes are viewed as angels of the emperor, and the imperial fists are the first among them in the eyes of the Afghanians. Afghania also holds the honor of being a recruiting world in imperial fist successor chapter, Blades of Stone. Being recruited by the Blades of Stone is the highest honor that can be bestowed upon a family with the family receiving special honors from the planetary governor. Cool. Uh, the Blades of Stone, is this just like a throwaway chapter in your mind or is this throwaway be... for now? Okay. I'll, I'll now. expand on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, very cool. Um, the Wall of the Dead is such a sweet idea. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the, uh, like it's, it's, ni it's a nice idea, mm -hmm. but there's clearly... A messed up portion to it where just the longer it goes the bigger the wall gets the more names <laughs> yeah. are added the smaller it is yeah yeah like no, they're I... constantly striving for more space on something that was supposed to be 
very limited. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, it sounds like the planet's kind of just like your typical like uh, imperial planet for the most part. Hey, yeah. it does, they don't have too many crazy traditions or like nothing. No. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice and simple. I like it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Old Knight. Abgania fared well in the early days of the Old Knight, being a largely self-sustaining planet as a result of its agricultural and industrial capabilities, combined with its reasonable population. While access to cutting-edge technology was lost, Abgania was able to continue producing the technology needed to survive. In M30, Abgania's troubles were truly began when the orc rocks began approaching the planet. What voidcraft the Abganians had been able to maintain were set out to stop the strange objects heading straight for their planet. While the initial defense was successful in stopping the orc vessels from crashing into the planet, the battle had cost most of the ships that Afghanians possessed. With their entire fleet either destroyed or damaged beyond repair, the Afghanians knew that they would need to prepare for the next time that Xenos came back to attack their planet. 30 years side reel later, the next orc assault would come. Unable to meaningfully repair their remaining void crafts, they were sent out to, on a suicidal mission to destroy as many orcs as possible. In turn, each of the remaining ships was destroyed with the very last using the ship. Sorry. In turn, each of the remaining ships was destroyed with the very last using the ship in order to crash into the orc rock before it entered into the atmosphere, causing it to break up in a collision, and the remains were destroyed on a re-entry to the atmosphere. Despite the bravery of the Afghanian Navy, there is little that could be done to prevent the orcs from landing on the planet. In the early years, the battle seemed to be going well. The majority of the orc infestation on Kassar, how'd you say that one? Kaysari. Kaysari, had been destroyed, and Asari had their situation contained. Unfortunately, the smallest and least defended continent of Yakai and Yukai <laughs> had a rock that landed near their command bunker and with the highest ranking officers and governmental figures dead within days of the initial landing. The long-term defense of the continent was already lost. Despite the massive technological advantage of the Afghanians, there is little that could be done in order to stop the eventual collapse of the defense of Ukai. While the defense of Akai collapsed, the Afghanians managed to eliminate the majority of orcs on their own continents with only sporadic appearance of feral orcs and constant search and destroy missions for the beginning of the orcish ecosystem. In time, however, the Afghanians grew suspicious after there was little orc activity following the collapse of Ukai. 
decades went by and even the feral orcs had stopped appearing due to the extensive operations to eliminate them at first sign of growth. Severalin's flights over Ukai showed that the orcs were growing their forces, as well as building new weapons of war in order to transport themselves to other continents. In time, a large naval armada would set forth from the shores of Ukai and make their way to uh, Aserii to continue their conquest of the planet. While the initial defense of the landing grounds went well, there was simply no way to stand up to the innumerable orcs. No matter how many they were killed, 10 more would appear to take their place, and the forces on Asari would begin a massive fighting retreat in order to buy time and kill as many orcs as they could. During the fighting retreat, Asari evacuated as many of its citizens as possible to Kasari. <laughs> Once again, it was only a matter of time before the Afghanians' forces were defeated by the sheer number of orcish invaders. With the last Afghanian forces withdrawn from Asari, the high command knew that they could not afford to allow the orcs to build up as they had on Ukai. The Afghanians used their aircraft to carry out high-level bombings of Ukai and Asari in order to disrupt the orcs' production of war materials, as well as to kill as many as possible. While they used a mixture of incendiaries and high explosives, the attacks were less precise than the Afghanians would have liked, as they had to contend with anti-aircraft fire from the orcs, which, while inaccurate, tended to fill the sky to a point that they did not need to be accurate if the aircraft were low enough. In time, as if they were a slow-moving tsunami, the orcs once again launched their attack on the Afghanians at Kasairi splitting their force into two in order to attack both sides of the mountain range. It was then that the Afghanians began their full-scale evacuation to the Berlis Mountains. Ever since Asari had been considered a lost cause, the Afghanian military had begun constructing bunkers and defenses in incredibly difficult terrain of the mountains and moving as many supplies there as they could. As the fighting dragged out on the coastal plains and the Afghanians lost more and more of their industrial capacity, as the grounds was ceded to the greenskins, the ability to maintain and replace their heavy equipment fell. First, they were forced to abandon their tanks, then their armored personnel carriers, and finally, even their transport vehicles. These vehicles were used for long as they could be useful as a static position and then destroyed to deny the mech boys of the orcs. As the Afghanian defenders were inevitably forced back to the foot of the mountains, all of the tunnels connecting to the east and west sides of the mountain range were blown up in order to prevent their use by the orcs. It was here in the mountains that the Afghanians would mount their final defense. In the century that it had taken for the orcs to wash over the rest of Afghania, the military had created defense in depth in the harsh mountainous using numerous defensive lines of fortifications and underground bunkers, complexes, from which the Afghanians hoped they could hold out indefinitely. Uh, you want to read some? Yeah, <laughs> it's a long one. Yeah. <laughs> I realized when I was writing just how long it was getting. <laughs> That's good. It was in the thick forest of these mountains that the numbers of the orcs played far less of a role than anywhere else. For all the strength and vitality of the orcish invaders, the natural impassibility of the terrain meant that they could not simply overwhelm the defenders with their numbers. It was here that the Afghanians held out for years, and then decades, and then for a century. The surviving Afghanian people had become highly militarized people. Even so, they were not without struggles of their own. Despite the successful defense of their positions, too many people had been brought along. 
While the extensive bunker systems had been created and vast amounts of supplies had been secreted away in the mountains, the military had not been able to stop a mass exodus to the mountains. Nearly 60 million people, young and old, military and civilian, had fled to the mountains, and most of those not on the front line were in the bunkers. It became clear that the situation was unsustainable as the hydroponic farms were still getting off the ground inside the bunkers and simply could not produce enough food. Initially, the government asked for volunteers to go try to live in the wilderness of the mountains. However, there is little interest as a result of those with extensive mountaineering and survival skills having already been conscripted into the military. Seeing that no one would willingly abandon the safety of the bunkers, the government began implementing a series of policies designed toward reducing the population. The first was to limit the number of children per family to two for a period of 10 years, and there was little pushback on this first of many restrictions. As time dragged on, the government began expelling those who spoke out against the government or else forcing them into hard labor jobs and creating their own internal police to maintain the government's power. Supplies continued to dwindle as the battle continued on and the hydroponic farms ran into problem after problem. Eventually, the Afghanian government began a process of simply killing off those who were deemed too old to be useful to the war effort. This led to large-scale riots within the bunkers and resulted in a slowdown of production as well as the transport of supplies to the front line. Meanwhile, the soldiers fighting for the survival of the Afghanian people were kept largely unaware of what was happening within the bunkers beyond scraps of information heard from those bringing supplies to the front. It was impossible not to notice when the riots began as food and ammo coming from the bunkers came to a standstill at one point and the logistics troops explained what was happening. This led to large-scale unrest in the combat troops and while they did not abandon the fight, the morale dropped significantly and the long-range reconnaissance patrols refused to go on their high-risk missions until they knew something had been done about the situation going on back home. Ultimately, the military leadership felt it necessary to perform a coup against the civilian government. Using their elite patrol formations in order to deal with the internal police, the military leadership assumed control and imprisoned the former leaders. The military leadership began walking back the more extreme policies in order to calm the citizens and at the same time introduced a graduated ration system based on need and job with those fighting and doing hard labor getting the most and those with more mundane jobs getting less. While the people were still unhappy, they accepted that something needed to be done and it was better than simply being killed off when you got too old. It was around this time that the recon patrols began noticing something interesting. While out on patrols in the mountains in order to probe the orcs' positions or sabotage their vehicles, they began to observe the native creatures in the mountains fighting back against the orcs as well. Herbivores and carnivores, mammals and reptiles, they were all fighting against the orcs' invaders. Many of these animals would go on to lend their names to units raised from Afghania, and one of the most notable was the ferocious Afghanian Hellcat, which would often stalk a group of orcs and ambush them, killing one or two before tearing through the rest in an open fight. The animals knew it was kill or be killed when it came to the orcs. In M30-834, the forces, or sorry, it was in M30-834 that the forces of the Adeptus Tardis descended upon Afghania system. The defenders were shocked to receive a transmission, much less from other humans. Much had been lost in the old night, including the hope of ever reestablishing contact with fellow humans. Many had presumed that Afghania had fallen into permanent isolation and that the majority of humanity's worlds would collapse under their own weight without trade. The Astartes of the 7th Legion attached to the 3rd Expeditionary Fleet landed with a frightful display of force. With orbital support from the Navy blasting gaps in the Orc Horde, the first drop pods landed on the coastal lowlands of Kaisari. Simultaneously, the gunships and transports of the Astartes filled the sky and bombarded the enemy with merciless efficiency. The arrival of the Imperials had saved the Afghanians from certain destruction. While their defenses had held, they were held at the extreme cost of men and materials that would eventually become unsustainable.
The sheer dread and awe caused by the Astartes, along with the hope of being reintegrated into a greater human empire, meant that the Afghanian military gladly kneeled before the servants of the emperor and pledged their loyalty. While the Orc menace was destroyed within months of the arrival of the 7th Legion, the process would continue much longer. Only 51 million Afghanians had survived the invasion and following the cleanup operations that would take decades, or and the following cleanup operations that would take decades. Beyond the painstaking work of truly eradicating the orc infestation, the planet also needed to be rebuilt. But with the help of the Imperium and 7th Legion, the Afghanians were able to quickly rebuild their capital and in time, the rest of the planet. Planetary defenses and the mountain strongholds were also heavily strengthened with the help of the Astartes. The Afghanian population would see massive population booms following their liberation, but would ultimately only raise a single solar auxilia cohort due to their, plant, their small population and the necessity of keeping the majority of the population on the planet. But they were known for their determination and morale in battle, no matter the odds, even among the solar auxilia. That's fucking cool. So basically, it's this planet that gets separated gets invaded by orcs and slowly loses continent by continent. I love that picture of like, you, you talk about the orc armada that comes across the ocean. I can yeah. just picture this like ramshackle boat crew that, you know, yeah. Just, just takes up the whatever whole they horizon. Can together. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was very cool. And just, yeah, hearing them slowly march across the planet. Now they're in the mountain fortress that's be, being besieged, besieged on all sides. Um, very cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I really wanted to get kind of the almost natural disaster feel of yeah. orcs. Yeah. Um, it's something I feel with Tyranids too, especially more so with Tyranids. But obviously orcs is what works best for <laughs> uh, yeah. the 30K-ish setting, so. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it did feel like that. It felt like, oh, we just lost this this continent. We lost this winter as a disaster. Yeah, it felt very natural for sure. Yeah. I like that. Um, man, you were giving me some creeps. So when the government gets involved, they start doing population control and this yeah. kind of shit. Oh God, I hate it. I like, I mean, I like to, uh, I wanted to give them a reason to be okay with going under another authoritarian government mm -hmm. so easily. Um, sure. Because I mean, obviously if you're not in that situation, you're going to be pretty hesitant to get involved in one yeah yeah exactly at least without a show of force so yeah. um i wanted to kind of normalize it for the people yeah well it's cool too like then it builds in like even before they join the imperium it builds in like that cool military structure and stuff that then they carry yeah. on and give to the imperium which is ultimately what the imperium wants it's just your body exactly so no it works out well uh i also like when you talked about like the planet like rose up against them and uh yeah, like the animals were attacking and that's how some of the regiments yeah. got their name. Kind of cool. Um, yeah, the last little section you got here yeah. is recruitment. In order to be selected to join the 47th, there are different paths depending on whether one is an enlisted man or an officer. For enlisted men, the quickest path is usually comes during the PDF training, where those pointed out likely to be the best soldiers will be pulled aside and sent into special training programs specifically for the 47th. Those who pass the training will then advance to the unit itself. The other path for an enlisted man is to prove himself in battle in one of the Afghanian regiments and be selected for transfer. In the case of officers, all officers of Afghanian regiments and PDF are trained on the garden world of Lanthius, where the Afghanian system at the officer academy. 
Here they received their training in leadership, navigation, and inner workings of the Imperial Guard. Those who score well across the board are then designated to go to the 47th. It is impossible for officers to be transferred to the 47th if they are not initially chosen. In all cases, the Solar Hellcats look for recruits who show initiative, determination, high moral, uh, good soldiering skills. Uh, communication is also a key aspect that is looked for when recruiting due to the nature of working in high tempo environment on top of the normal confusion of the battlefield. Cool. Um, so yeah, like even though your planet's very like militarized, not everyone joins the military. It almost sounds like everyone joins the PDF though, hey? Uh, there's a basic, uh, I hadn't finished expanding on the planet yet, um, mm. but there's a required, uh, kind of basic training. Yeah. Everyone gets two years. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to even carry on to the PDF if you're not everyone does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, just everyone gets the training. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. That, that's cool. That's fun. Um, yeah. So you have more that you want to write for these guys. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I also meant to expand on what an Afghanian Hellcat is. <laughs> I, <haven't done laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet. I, I can picture kind of like a, like a Canadian Bobcat type thing, but I'm but sure like it's going to be times as big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it can spit acid or something. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> and it claws go right through Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. So expand on what Hellcats are. What, what are the yeah, things so I want to expand, expand on, on the planet? Yeah. I want to expand on the culture a little more, uh, just of the people. Yeah. Um, I need to do some like heroes of the regiment kind of stuff. Cool. Maybe some notable battles they've been in. Yeah. I was going to do that too. Yeah. Um, but I think I've got a pretty good baseline here. Yeah. Like um, you've painted a very good picture. Like I, I can picture what they look like. I can picture how they operate. I picture where they come from, even and how they are the way they are because of where they come from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the big part is getting a good picture in your mind and then going from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got that picture. I, I had to Google some uh, images like the solar, um, solar auxiliary layman rust tank. What was it called? The solar pattern or solar. Yeah, Mars solar Lehman or something like that. Yeah. There's some pretty cool stuff where if you ever did do an army, yeah, it would have that sweet look for sure. Yeah. And I like it. Um, um, like one thing I definitely had to look into um, uh, the stormtroopers, just because most of them are um, officio prefectus or uh, whatever the um, mm -hmm. their own their own sub branch. But the yeah, grenadiers yeah. are agnostic of that and can be from anyone, kind of like the Kazarkins or the uh, mm. Krieg grenadiers. Yeah, they're more like so your planet special forces. Planet as elite to... forces, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to put them in there, and then that gives them an excuse to use the Torox Primes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, solar Auxiliary. The other cool unit that the Solar Auxiliary has is um, they have those big old axe guys. Would you use oh, okay. them at all for anything? I probably wouldn't. Um, I'm not a huge fan of garden melee fair enough <laughs> i've beaten garden melee enough with tau back in the day to not trust, not trust them yeah uh, uh, the other kind of cool unit they have is they have some augurins um yeah. for the solar would you incorporate them at all into your army not for this okay. uh regiment yeah 
Yeah, they weren't mentioned um, anywhere in the story. My idea for this planet is that's no ab humans on the planet, so it would yeah. make sense. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, very cool. Is there any other little details you want to share with us? Um, nothing I can think of off the top of my head, but uh, mm-hmm. I'll definitely be expanding on this. And Yeah. Yeah. Write more. And then, uh, you know, the drill, come back on the show and read it out to us. I had a great time. Oh yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've already got another one in the, it's been sent. So we'll <laughs> <Okay>. see. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks Liam for joining me and we'll see you guys all on the next episode of Lorehammer Listening Lore. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.